0: Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? It's an interesting question, but perhaps a more interesting one. Who in the nine hells is Mary? You might know this classic English nursery rhyme from... Honestly, if you could tell me, I would be impressed. Like a lot of nursery rhymes, it's one of those things that's just been baked into people's heads since they were kids and gets randomly repeated sometimes. Mistress Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? The silver bells and cockle shells and pretty all in a row. <laughs> cute kids, right? Well, things aren't gonna stay cute for long. Later in this episode, a woman will be impregnated by a god and an archbishop will be burned alive. So sacrifice those five star and follow buttons if you haven't already and brace yourself for the messed up origins of Mary Mary Quite Contrary. Part One, The Rhyme. Full disclosure, we don't really know how old the "Mary, Mary, Quite Contrary rhyme is, nor do we know what it's supposed to be about, but that hasn't stopped people from coming up with some wild theories. The oldest printed version comes from Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook, which was published in London in 1744. A bunch of other classic English rhymes show up in the written record for the first time in this book, including such bangers as Ba-Ba Black Sheep, Hickory Dickory Dock, London Bridge is falling down and sing a song of sixpence, plus some deep cuts like Who Killed Cock Robin? Judging from the name alone, that's gotta be pretty messed up, right? Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook was like the 1744 nursery rhyme equivalent of Kids' pop just a compilation of songs for children, and its version of the rhyme goes like this. Mistress Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. Despite what the title implies, the publisher of Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook was actually not a guy named Thomas Thumb. It was a woman named Mary Cooper, and it's possible that she just made up the rhyme about herself. Mystery solved. But probably not, because Mary Cooper's whole thing was publishing writings that had no known author or copyright. So, like syphilis, this rhyme and all the others had probably been passed on orally for generations before being written down. These days, the most common version you'll encounter goes like this. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. In case you're wondering, a cockle is a kind of shellfish. It's a mollusk, kind of like a scallop or a clam that lives in sandy beaches or shallow water. In the UK, they're a popular seaside snack. Some later printed versions of Mary Mary from the 18th century have slightly different lyrics. A few swap out the last line with pretty maids all in a row with lady bells all in a row or cowslips all in a row. What's a cowslip, you ask? I had to Google that one myself, and it turns out they're a bright yellow flower, definitely worthy of being in a garden, even a famous one like Mistress Mary's. Some more alternate lines are, sing cuckoos all in a row, or the eyebrow-raising, sing cuckolds all in a row. To clarify, before it was revived by the edgiest corners of the internet as cuck, cuckold was an old-timey insult for a man whose wife sleeps with other people who aren't him. It originates from the word cuckoo because cuckoo birds sometimes leave their eggs in other birds' nests. So in this case, cuckold and cuckoo might mean exactly the same thing and this entire explanation is needlessly pedantic. But hey, at least now you know the origins of cuck. Now I'm not only wondering who Mary is, I'm also wondering who she's running around on. And I'm not the only one. There are three well-known theories about Mary Mary quite contrary. But I do want to emphasize that they're just theories in the loosest sense of the word. Before we dive into those, though, I want to say thank you to our sponsor Squarespace for making this episode possible. Squarespace has received worldwide recognition for empowering people like you and I, giving us web design newbies the power to create beautiful websites easily, efficiently, and affordably. They make the process so easy from step one with their huge library of award winning website templates that create the perfect foundation for you to build on intuitive design tools that let you drag and drop boxes wherever you please, and the fact that you don't ever have to download any software or patches. And because Squarespace knows how important a website is for success, they offer their users marketing tools and analytics. So you can see how much traffic your site gets and which keywords to optimize for so you can market yourself more effectively and grow those numbers more than you ever thought possible. The best part is that all of these features can be accessed inside your web browser. And if you need any help learning how to use them, Squarespace's wicked smart customer support team is available 24-7. So if you're looking to establish your brand's online identity or get professional with your passion, go to squarespace.com slash john solo to start a completely free trial. And when your site is ready for launch, use code john solo to get 10% off your first purchase and support the messed up origins podcast. Chapter two, mother Mary. Now, our first theory claims that the rhyme is a Christian allegory full of specifically Catholic references, and it guesses that the Mistress Mary is the Virgin Mary who gave birth to a guy named Jesus. You know, Jesus from the Bible. Or if you haven't read that book, you might know him from Jesus Christ Superstar. You might think this theory posits Mary's garden as the Garden of Eden, but no. Instead, the garden is a metaphor for planting the seeds of Christianity. The bells represent the sanctus bells, a Catholic church ding-dongs during Mass, and the pretty maids are nuns. The cockle shells are a sly reference to a scallop-shaped badge that people wear when they complete a famous Catholic pilgrimage route, the Camino de Santiago, aka the Way of St. James in Spain. If you love pilgrimaging, this 500-mile stroll brings you to the magnificent Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in beautiful Galicia, where the remains of the Apostle St. James are believed to rest. Walking the Camino de Santiago is more than just a hike, It could be a spiritual voyage or an opportunity for life-changing self-reflection. You could be the adventurer you know in your heart of hearts you should be and show the world you are capable of great things, not just with your legs, but also within your soul, earning you that scallop-shaped badge. Or you could just stay home and buy a badge off Amazon for $8.95. Totally your call. Jesus loves you either way. But even fans of this theory have some disagreement. For one thing, what's so contrary about Mother Mary? I mean, she did deliver a child, despite supposedly being a virgin. Those two things are a little contradictory, and maybe the cuckold line is a reference to her husband Joseph because Mary had a baby with God. Some people see the rhyme as a Catholic lament for how the Roman Catholic Church was persecuted in England after England went Protestant in 1534 which we'll be talking about next section. On the contrary, some other people see it as a veiled criticism of Catholics, and if this were the case, then the garden part may have a much, much darker meaning. In this anti-Catholic sub-theory, the garden isn't a garden full of flowers at all. Instead, it's a graveyard full of bodies of English Protestants who died at the hands of either the vicious, evil Queen Mary I, aka Bloody Mary, or her sneaky, conniving niece, Mary, Queen of Scots. And just to clarify, that's the rhyme talking, not me. I'm a committed fence-sitter when it comes to 16th century political and theological conflicts. I know, it's the coward's way out, but this is where I stand. Chapter 3. Bloody Mary now, if you were kicking it around Western, Northern, or Southern Europe in the 1500s, everyone was Catholic. All these different European kingdoms were run locally by their monarchs, but the Catholic Church legitimized those monarchs, and in many different subtle and not-so-subtle ways affected who those monarchs would be. This all started to fall apart in 1517, when a German monk named Martin Luther made some criticisms of the Catholic Church, got excommunicated by the Pope, and went on to kick up off the thing we call Protestantism. At first, the King of England, Henry VIII, was not a fan of this Protestantism shit, and he made his disdain so public that the Pope even named him Fidei Defensor, or Defender of the Faith. But Henry had a problem at home. His wife, Catherine of Aragon, had not given birth to any male heirs, just a daughter, whose name was Mary. To keep things straight, we'll call her Mary Tudor, because she was from the House of Tudor. She was mostly raised in Spain with her mother's very powerful family, and was brought up to be a very serious Catholic. But Henry VIII wanted to have a male child. A queen had never ruled England before, and Henry knew that if he didn't have a legitimate son, there could be multiple claims to his throne. Catherine of Aragon was having trouble conceiving any more children besides Princess Mary, so Henry VIII requested the Pope allow him to divorce her. But the Pope said no, because the church doesn't grant divorces. Henry even tried to argue that since Catherine had previously been married to his dead brother, then his own marriage was actually incest and should be annulled. But the Pope didn't bite on this one either. So in 1534, Henry decided that England would be Protestant, the creatively named Church of England announced its independence from the Pope in Rome and Henry VIII named himself the head of it. Can you guess what he did first? That's right, he granted himself an annulment. So Mary Tudor went very quickly from being the crown princess to becoming a bastard, quite the step down and it only gets worse because Mary Tudor then had to helplessly stand by while her mother was exiled and watch as her father took up a new wife, Anne Boleyn who then gave him another daughter, Elizabeth. Things also didn't turn out so hot for poor Miss Boleyn either though, and I don't mean just losing her marriage. She lost her head, literally. Henry's third wife, out of six total, did give him that son he wanted, but when the king died in 1547, he actually had set his family and England up for way more violence and confusion. Their son, Edward VI, took over when Henry died, and like his father, he was super into Protestantism, but he was also 10 years old. Then he got tuberculosis five years later and realized he was going to die without an heir himself. His older sister, Mary Tudor, should have been next in line, but she was very Catholic. And from the Protestant point of view, she was also a bastard because her parents' marriage had been annulled. Also, his other sister, Elizabeth, was considered a bastard in both religions, so neither of them was a good candidate. As a result, Edward VI, a 15-year-old, tried to name his teenage Protestant cousin, Jane, as his successor instead. And here is when Mary Tudor, the eldest daughter of King Henry VIII, becomes Bloody Mary. Within days, Mary Tudor gained the support from various councils and parliament to be declared the rightful queen, and she had Lady Jane locked in the Tower of London until she would renounce Protestantism and return to the Catholic faith, which never happened. So you can guess what happened next. Another royal lady lost her head. Mary I was only Queen of England for a few years, but she did not fuck around in that time. It was a six-year revenge tour. She switched England back to Catholicism and had hundreds of Protestants tortured and burned alive. One such Protestant was the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, whom her father had personally appointed to be his new Protestant Archbishop. Hope it was fun while it lasted, Tommy. Now, there are a few reasons why some people connect Mary Tudor to Mary Mary quite contrary. For one, Henry VIII had picked Thomas Cranmer over a more obvious candidate Stephen Gardner. But then, when she was queen, Mary Tudor made Stephen Gardiner her chief minister. As the theory goes, some people think the question, how does your garden grow, refers to Stephen Gardiner. Another possibility is that the garden is England itself and is a reference to Mary Tudor marrying the King of Spain, which was the most powerful Catholic country causing her kingdom, or garden, to grow. In this theory, Mary Tudor is quite contrary because she set out to reverse everything that her father and brother had done. And because of that, and all the bloodshed, she tends to be portrayed as a villain. When I look at you, I see nothing of the king, only that whore, your mother. My father never did anything so well as to cut off her head. You'll remember the rhyme also mentions pretty maids all in a row. This could refer to the fact that she had a lot of miscarriages and never carried a child to term. But to me, that sounds like a stretch because who in their right mind would refer to miscarried babies as pretty maids? There's no connection there, at least not from what I can see. Whether or not she has anything to do with this rhyme, Mary Tudor, a.k.a. Mary I, died in 1558 after six years of queening. And since she had no heir, her crown passed to her younger sister, Queen Elizabeth. But just like how Mary Tudor wasn't the only claimant to the English crown, Bloody Mary has a rival that's another Catholic Royal Mary who this rhyme might be about. Mary, Queen of Scots. But I'm just gonna be honest, I don't want to talk about this theory because it's just not interesting. You know what? I'm gonna be brutally honest. It's boring. Not the history. The history is interesting, and I apologize for not sharing it with you today. It's just a lot to unpack for a theory that follows the same exact formula as the theory I just talked about. That's the boring part. Once again, it claims that Mistress Mary is in reference to the queen, her garden growing is a metaphor for her kingdom, the silver bells and cockle shells are posited as references to her religion and her fancy outfits, and the pretty maids and cuckolds might refer to the nobles in her royal court. Repetitive or not, I would happily break this theory down if there was any evidence behind it, but there just isn't, and anyone who says otherwise is lying. Or they just so happen to stumble upon a long lost journal from the 16th century by the guy who wrote the rhyme in which he explains exactly what it's about and why he wrote it but that seems pretty unlikely. What seems most likely is that like a lot of other nursery rhymes, this was simply a nonsense song for kids to sing. And the fact that multiple variants exist points to the fact that it was never about anything in particular, besides a woman named Mary and what's growing in her garden. With that being said, when you sing the song, it can be about whatever the hell you want. The king, the queen, Lunette and Molly, a clown and her dolly in the big comfy couch, the world is your oyster. Or should I say your cockle shell? But now you've all heard my opinions, so I want to hear yours. What explanation do you like the best, if any of them? Let me know by hitting me up on social media. And remember to sacrifice those five-star and follow buttons if you want more content like this sent to your device every Friday morning. I also post shorts four days a week on YouTube, TikTok, and all my social medias. So, you can learn more about the most messed up aspects of mythology, folklore, nursery rhymes, and history. Just hit the links in the description to follow me on those platforms. I'll speak with you all again next week when I dive into the messed up origins of a Disney classic that we've actually talked about before, but never in such detail. Until then, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.